Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. Very happy to have you with us as we continue to uh, produce our show uh, from uh, my own home office here in uh, the Decatur area. All of our uh, panelists, our guests are coming to us by telephone, as many of you know, because you listen to the show pretty regularly. And um, we're very happy about the fact that although we can't do the same kind of broadcast quality that we typically like to be able to do, uh, you've all responded pretty positively to what we're doing. I've been getting a lot of emails from you when I've asked you to tell me how you're doing out there. I've started to try to answer them as quickly as I can, and I really hope to get to everybody uh, in the days ahead. I'm very grateful to you all for uh, feeling you want to share with me the kind of um, situations you're experiencing in communities around the state. Um, We're going to go a different direction on the show today. We have Passover, which begins tomorrow night, and Easter, of course, uh, next Sunday, Good Friday being this Friday. And so we're going to talk with um, some of the area's uh, most significant faith leaders about what the COVID uh, virus uh, means in terms of how they're dealing with uh, bringing their congregations together, but probably more more important than that, what exactly is the role of faith right now as we confront this dangerous disease? I'll introduce our panel in just a minute, but I do want to first introduce Tamar Hallerman. She's senior reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Tamar, just yesterday, you uh, or today rather, you filed a piece. It was on the front page of the paper uh, with Dr. or about Kathleen Toomey, the public health commissioner who's been dealing with this disease. And I'd really recommend to our listeners that they check out your article. How are you, Tamar? All right, doing well. Yeah, the, the story I've been working on for a couple of weeks, looking at, at kind of the, the needle that, that Dr. Toomey's been trying to thread as both a Kemp appointee with a ton of power over the state's coronavirus responses, including testing that the state's been doing, um, efforts to secure ventilators and other emergency equipment, uh, but also the role that she has as a scientific voice and kind of her fascinating backstory. So she's, she's one of the most fascinating people I've written about in a long time and, and would recommend it. Uh, you did. You you point out that she revealed something when you and I interviewed her on Political Rewind just a week or so ago. She told a very personal story about uh, her family and the flu of 1918, and you recount that in your article today. Yeah, she surprised both of us. I think when she mentioned she lost her grandfather to the Spanish flu about a hundred years ago, and and kind of talked about how personal it was for her, and it was a big moment just because in general in her public appearances she's been very very much focused on the science, kind of what we know now, here's how many tests we have available. So it it was a real moment of um, kind of candor for her. Well, again, I really hope that our listeners will look at your piece. Um, Let me give some figures about the latest news we have, and then we'll introduce the panel. It's um, unfortunately, sadly, the march of COVID-19 continues in Georgia. As of last night at seven o'clock, We now have 7,558 confirmed cases of COVID-19. That's up 1,086 in 24 hours. Now, 
what adds to the kind of uh, uh, significance of that number is that on, on yesterday's show, we reported that there had been 1,298 new cases just since late last Friday. So in other words, we've had more than 2,200 cases over a period of the last 72 hours. We now have COVID-19 in 154 counties across the state. Remember that the governor initially was reluctant to put a statewide shelter in place uh, rule in effect because he said there were so many counties that did not have positive cases of COVID-19. Well, now they're in all but just a very few counties in the state. We've also had 294 deaths in Georgia. That's up 75 in the last 24 hours. So um, we're not even at the peak yet because we are now looking at projections that call for an additional 1,500 deaths in Georgia by April 21st. It's a, um, it's a very troubling situation here. Governor Kemp is expected this week to extend the public health emergency, which he declared first on March 14th. Um, that was not when he declared sheltering in place. That was just much more recently, but it did give him certain emergency powers that he put in place. So um, we continue to deal with COVID-19 in Georgia and will for the time being. All right, let's start talking about um, the significant religious holidays that we are about to experience here in Georgia. It's already Holy Week uh, for uh, Catholic community here in Georgia. And as I said, Passover starts tomorrow night. Um, so let me introduce, uh, first of all, uh, Bishop Joel Conson. Bishop Conson is the acting administrator and auxiliary bishop for the Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. Bishop, we're really grateful for, for your presence on the show today. Thanks for being here. Have we got you, Bishop? Yes. Okay, we seem to have... Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah, Good. thanks for being with us. Great. You're very welcome, Bill. Happy to do it. Uh, rabbi Peter Berg, uh, he is the senior rabbi of the Temple, which is Atlanta's oldest synagogue and has a storied history uh, that many people outside of the Jewish community know about here. It, it has always been one of the most important religious institutions in Atlanta. Um, rabbi Berg, thank you for joining. Rabbi Berg, how long have it's been? You've had that tenure for a long time now, it seems to me. Good morning, Bill. Uh, yes, uh, 12 years at the Temple, and I'm always happy to be on your show. Yeah, we love having you on. And we also love having our final guest, and that's uh, Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, who is now Pastor Emeritus of Providence Missionary Baptist Church. He served as pastor of Providence Missionary Baptist for 25 years before moving on. Uh, Gerald Durley, thank you for being with us today as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill, and uh, I greet the other panelists as well. Um, as long as you've got the ball, uh, Reverend Durley, let me start with you. You participated last night in an event that I think sets the tone for what we're going to be seeing in our religious services, whether it's the holidays we're dealing with right now or uh, regular services in the weeks to come. You were part of a virtual Seder with the American Jewish Committee, I believe. I, I, tell us about how that went. Well, yes, uh, we had the opportunity uh the American Jewish Committee, working along with Doug uh, Dove, uh, Wilker and other rabbis, Rabbi Lipinski, I believe her name is, from the temple, 
they had, we had been doing for the last two or three years a unity uh, Seder across the city where various faiths would come together, the Muslim, the Church of the Latter-day Saint, the Christian uh, community would come together. But last night, of course, because of the virus, we could not come together uh, usually at the temple. I think four or 500 people there, but online there were well over 100 or 200 people calling in, and we went through the entire Seder service. My particular role uh, from the Christian community with the bitter herbs, the Mara, was to demonstrate what we in the civil rights uh, community and the Christian community had experienced as we took the bitter root, and others had other uh, aspects. And I think it gave a full uh, service to show the commonality and the mutuality between the various faiths using to uh, following the uh, Seder or the Jewish holiday, the Passover. So it was very, very powerful, and we all expressed it from our point of view, and I thought it was very moving uh, last night. I think it's the first virtual Seder service that was held here in Atlanta. And certainly not the last. And I want to talk more about how uh, families, Jewish families, are going to have virtual seders. And I know, Rabbi Berg, you're uh, at the temple. You have uh, facilitated some of those. And I want to deal with those in just a minute because clearly there are lessons that come from the Passover service that are very, very appropriate to what we're going through now. But if you if you all don't mind, um, I want to go to you, Bishop Conson, because— uh, I, I want to point out, I was looking at the Archdiocese of Atlanta website this morning, and there are a couple things that struck me. First of all, uh, you have a full uh, page of resources devoted to COVID-19 and how people can experience their faith, even though we're all separated from one another. And I was struck by a prayer that is posted on that homepage of the COVID-19 resources, St. Teresa of Avila or Vila, you'll tell me, Bishop. Avila? Let yeah. nothing disturb you. Avila, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. And Bishop, if I can, and then I'll uh, ask you to talk about this, I want to play just a little bit from a video message that you posted on the Archdiocese website. Let's listen now. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a Lent like no other. With each passing day, we're removed a little further from the familiar. Whatever it was that we pledged we would give up for Lent has now been added to by the new restrictions and sacrifices that we've had to take on unexpectedly. Efforts to stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus have challenged us all. But there's no question that this situation also offers us an opportunity to deepen our relationship with the Lord. So, Bishop Kanzen, uh, tell us how you uh, are approaching with the, uh, the churches across the region uh, telling them about how, helping them understand how they can try to keep their community of worshipers, their congregants, somehow connected in the midst of the isolation we all find ourselves in. Well, of course, that's the challenge for, for all of us. One of the things we've been trying to emphasize is that the Church hasn't gone away. We, we, we need to find ways that we're going to be able to, to hold families together and hold hold all of us together as a worshiping community. And uh, so we've, we've certainly, with 108 churches in North Georgia that are part of the Archdiocese, uh, people are doing different things, but 
we we want to encourage people in whatever way to to reach out to be creative. Uh, we've got parishes who are mobilizing to care for the elderly and those who need somebody to do shopping for them. Uh, we've got uh, on Easter Sunday we will have uh, broadcast our our Easter Sunday mass on WSB television for those who don't have access to uh, live streaming. And we have been planning and we will be doing live streaming of our holy days from parishes and also from the cathedral too. Uh, we've got one parish that's telling people to treat Easter as they would normally, get dressed up, have a special brunch or dinner, uh, and make <laughs> sure that you do watch uh, your, your local church service uh, from Easter Sunday Mass. So, um, and then as you would have seen, there are reflections from pastors online that we're, we're offering. Uh, we're, we've got the bishops, two of us bishops, doing regular messaging to the larger Catholic community. Um, and we're going to try to do some things such as asking people on Good Friday rather than to venerate uh, the cross, which they would normally do personally in church, to do that in their very same thing in their homes, and maybe also on Holy Thursday when we normally would have the priest doing washing of feet of, of people representing the Twelve Apostles, that people can do that too in their homes and by washing the feet of family members. So. Those are some of the things that we're doing and, and just trying to use whatever kind of creativity we can. Although I have to say it's been getting a little more um, a little more restrictive. We were doing things such as having people drive up to go to confession by and staying six feet away from the priest, but um, that has had to stop now that we're sheltering at home. You uh, talk about uh, uh, the uh, one of the things, of course, that, that um, many Christian faith, Catholics, Episcopals alike, really, really um, look forward to, care deeply about uh, services are taking Holy Communion, uh, which obviously isn't possible now. But you, uh, your website refers to, or you referred to it, I guess, St. Thomas Aquinas, who talked at one point in his life about, I think you called it spiritual communion. What does that mean? How, how can Catholics, Christians, have spiritual communion while they're living in isolation? Well, that that is a term that uh, has been around for quite a while, and we probably haven't made a lot of use of it uh, until recently because of the present circumstance. What it means is uniting with the heart of Christ and offering prayers that really reveal to uh, to the Lord, the great desire to be united with the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and so it, it's it's more of a of a mental and spiritual resource that you're calling upon. Uh, whereas we're so used to coming to the church week by week and uh, actually physically participating in in the Eucharist and receiving Holy Communion on our tongue or in our hand. And so we've got to do something else right now. And we want to remind people that there have been times when the saints too have been either imprisoned or somehow prevented from uh, getting to the, the usual liturgies, the, the Mass itself. And they've had to, uh, they've had to rely on, on their own powers to, uh, yeah, to, to reach out in prayer and to 
to reveal their their great longing to be united with Christ. One, one uh, tomorrow, question I have. Uh, you and I yeah. were talking. Go ahead. No, I have, I have a question I, I wanted to ask the group, if that's all right with you. Um, you know, Bishop Kanzen mentioned how you guys were doing um, drive-through communion and how, that, how you stopped doing that as the guidance from the state changed. Um, and I'm curious how you guys have taken that, that changing guidance and, um, and kind of changed up what you guys have been offering. Because we've, we've watched over the last couple of weeks Governor Kemperley struggle, you know, wrestle with, with what he wanted to do when it came to imposing limits on, on congregations. And even in his shelter-in-place order that he, that he implemented on, on April 1st, he, he mentioned that residents can visit places of worship as long as there is social, social distancing guidelines. So how have you guys taken that and, and changed what you've been offering at your um, congregation? Do you want me to speak to that? Sure. Yeah, well, why don't you, you, each of you, I mean, especially you and, and Rabbi Berger to speak to that, but go ahead, Bishop. Oh, I think it's it's uh, Reverend Durley. Yes. No, I was going to say... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Reverend. Yeah, one of the things that we have to do is do a state of mind with the peace. In the African-American church, it's always so important, the hugging and the touching and the... Uh, we call it passing of the peace in so many cases, but we've had to go through a state of change of mind because I had so many young pastors to come up to me and say that are we any less spiritual, any less trusting in God if we don't come into the worship service? We've got to prove to the world that we trust and that our faith is in God and that God will protect us. And God, we, we, I have to say that God has certain immutable laws that are in place, and we've got to understand that science and faith are not incongruent. So we create a mindset that just coming into, I, I had to say this to several uh, pastors, that you, you don't go to church. You don't go to church. You can go to a building and you can attend a worship service, but the church is you. So therefore, in your mindset, going back to her question, when we worship in a spiritual, we can worship in spirit and in truth. So therefore, it's not necessary just to be in that particular building, even though culturally it makes us feel better. We can touch and we can pass the communion plate and, and these kinds of things. But we put the mindset that you are the church. So whether you're in your home, whether you're in your uh, whatever facility, your nursing facility, you are the church, and we're still together as one in spirit and in our mind and in our concept. And so that, that way there's a certain mindset that I'm not missing out on being there to see you deliver the message or hear the choir. I'm still a part of that spiritual community. But that has to be as taught. And once people can understand that, it becomes a reality. The Rabbi Berg, I want to get you into the okay. conversation. I, let me let me get Rabbi Berg in please, for a sec. Um, Rabbi, uh, Tamara and I were uh, comparing notes yesterday about uh, seders that normally both of us would have with our families. And, of course, uh, we'll do that. In I'll have my wife, my daughter uh, here with me. My son won't be, unfortunately, with me. Um, and you're, and Tamar's going to be doing a virtual seder. I'll ask her about that in a second. But, but uh, Rabbi, just like uh, the bishop, uh, you've had to really struggle with how to hold your community together while we're all in isolation. Talk just a bit about that. And if you don't mind, also the many messages in the seder, um, the the bitter herbs, the suffering the Jewish people have had. Uh, talk about as slaves in Egypt, 
but ultimately being freed. I mean, it's just a perfect metaphor for what we're going through right now, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I want to begin by uh, suggesting that in many ways, the, the need to go virtual for us was not a struggle at all. It, it might be the, the single, um, in some level, easiest decision that, I, that I've ever had to make. We closed the temple uh, in terms of the building three weeks ago. Um, and the moment we knew that there was a possibility that we could save lives, it was um, an, an obvious choice that everything had to go virtual. Uh, and the story that was played earlier about uh, the church that was um, equating uh, law with faith is, is probably one of the scariest theological distortions I've heard in my entire life. In, in Jewish tradition, the notion of saving life, pikuach nefesh, is the highest uh, value. It supersedes every other command. And uh, so um, I just want to make a plea to all of, all of your listeners um, how important it is to, to stay home, to stay inside, and to stay alive. Uh, and uh, uh, we cannot be running around going to communal gatherings of any kind at this time. And uh, so that decision was, was, was not difficult for me. I had to learn to use technology differently, but, but um, the moral thing to do is to, to protect people and to keep them alive. You're also so right, Bill, about the, the themes of the, the Passover Seder. They relate so much to, to what's happening right now. You know, we ask this question on Passover. Um, the youngest person stands up and says, why is this night different from all other nights? And I think this year, Someone's going to stand up at the Seder and say, um, uh, um, why is this Passover not like any other Passover we've ever had before? Uh, we've never done it virtually. We've never done it without our family. As Reverend Durley said, we've never done it without the hug of, of the people that we love, our, our friends and our neighbors and our family. So uh, there are three themes, though, that do emerge in the Seder, freedom and gratitude and renewal. Right. Freedom is all about being freed from slavery in Egypt. And the pandemic is a feeling of being trapped as well and cut off from one another. And we know there are things that still enslave us today. And, and Passover, the Seder, is all about trying to figure out um, um, how, how to deal with that, to take the time to escape the things that we normally enslave us and to breathe and to evaluate the priorities that we have in our lives and to take the time to clarify what is important. Gratitude is an important theme, right? Uh, we look at uh, after redemption comes a sense of gratitude and to be thankful for the gifts that we have in our lives, right? Who reached out to us this week? What did I learn about myself? What part of my house that I'm stuck in do I value the most, right? These are the kinds of things that, that we have to ask every year. And we say at the Seder Dayenu, it would have been enough. And it's, you know, it's just the expression an attitude of gratitude every single day. And finally, the Seder addresses this notion of renewal. There's greenery and springtime and flowers all around us. And Passover is a time to ask ourselves, how do we want to free our mind and appreciate the gifts we have and rededicate ourselves to our tradition, to our faith, to making the world a better place. And this moment offers us a chance as, as, as a people to better ourselves and to have hope. And the, the, the national anthem of the Jewish people of the state of Israel is Hatikva, it's hope. And um, you know, our job is to find hope in this moment of challenge. 
So you'll see all of these themes at the, at the Seder themselves. And whether we do them virtually or in small groups, um, we're going to be able to address these themes head on. Tamara, you want to jump in? <laughs> no, it's, it's um, kind of nice hearing somebody distill all of these themes so well, because I've just been thinking about it in terms of, of for me as a Jew, how, how I've been changing my routines. I, you know, I live alone and was planning to go visit my, my parents up in the, the Virginia mountains for, for Passover and was really looking forward to my mom's brisket and, and just how much we're kind of all adjusting, <laughs> including teaching my parents how to use Zoom <laughs> to, to get ready for it. And, and I, I'm sure uh, all of you guys are kind of facing those challenges, especially as you get some of your older congregation members to embrace a lot of this technology that maybe they wouldn't normally. Um, as yep. long as we're talking about Passover, I'll share with you all. Uh, Sam Burmis Dawes, who's uh, got a Jewish background, sent me something that he got from, I think, your aunt, Sam, right? Uh, she sent a f- meme that's making its way around the, uh, the web. It's a picture, a photograph of a stack of matzah. And what it says is, commemorating not getting killed by a plague during a plague that you hope you're not getting killed by is probably as Jewish as you can get. <laughs> I, it's, it's dark, dark humor, but it works pretty well. But I think uh, let me do this. Important. Let's get a break. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. Come back. I have so much more that I want to ask our guests about. Uh, today as we continue to explore the holidays of Easter and Passover and the role, and I want to get more into this, of religion as we go through these difficult times we're experiencing right now. This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. We're back on Political Rewind. This is Holy Week in the uh, Christian faith. Passover starts tomorrow night, and we're talking about religion during coronavirus uh, with um, uh, Bishop Joel Kanzen of the Archdiocese of Atlanta. He's the acting administrator of the Archdiocese while, uh, while you wait, Bishop, for the arrival of a new archbishop uh, to uh, step in in the, in the weeks or months ahead. Um, Rabbi Peter Berg, senior rabbi at the temple, is with us, as is the pastor emeritus of Providence Missionary Baptist Church, Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley. Gerald Durley and I go back a very, very long way. Gerald, we've known each other for maybe 30-plus years, and it's very meaningful to me uh, to be able to talk to you this time about this subject and not politics, so thank you for being here. Uh, Let me read something and then turn it back over. I want everybody to get in the mix again. I said at the beginning of the show that I'm getting an awful lot of email from our listeners, which has been terrific to look at. And and Tim Gerard sent me a poem by the author Wendell Berry that I think is so apropos of our conversation today. It's not long. I want to read it to you. It's called The Real Work. And here's what it says. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we've come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Uh, Reverend Durley, uh, Wendell Berry wrote that long before the coronavirus, but it certainly seems to me it's an inspirational uh, poem for our times. 
No, I think it has a lot. In fact, during this period, all of us on this line, clergy, we've got something even to learn in this. My entire faith system has been tested to the limit. Let me give you an example. My wife is going through cancer treatments right now, and I've been a caregiver for three years. I think that I'm a person of faith. Those that I preach to, teach, we talk about faith, faith in God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we don't know which way to go and it seems so dark and blurry, we have faith. So I believe very strongly in faith. But there comes a time in our life where our faith must be proven by how do we activate our faith. Several weeks ago, I had to take my wife to get her chemotherapy treatments. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why should we get out there as a shelter in place and going to the hospital, a germ-infested place, we could uh, be come down with uh, coronavirus. So I said, let's wait and see, maybe another time. Now, my faith said God will take care of us, but did I trust God enough to activate my faith? So I had to grow in that moment, uh, Bill, and I said, we're going and we believe that God will take care of us. And I think in our messages during this very bleak time that There is a lot of fear. There is a lot of anxiety. There is some angst. But our faith has to assure us enough to believe that and trust that God will take care of us. And that's the central theme throughout this, whether it's through social media or or in live contact, that that trust. So we went on to the the hospital, and and, and every single uh, process went extremely well because we trusted in God. But if we did not have the faith to put our trust in God, we would have been... um, uh, afraid, and we would not have moved. So I think that this is a time to keep people alive in their faith, get their faith strong enough to trust in God, and then make the kinds of necessary uh, 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 associations uh, from a distance that still give us strength to move ahead. So I think that this is very key that our faith. When we were in the movement, we didn't know what, what, what would happen to us when we went into a city, but we had faith and we trusted God, therefore we could move ahead. And I think that's from our various places that we're going to have to do. And the clergy plays a major role in this to keep the our people moving ahead and the nation moving ahead, that we've got to trust that in God that it will be all right. Uh, Reverend Durley, I want to pick up on on that for a moment. Um, I went to I went to look at uh, a couple of the sermons that uh, the, the current pastor at Providence Missionary Baptist Church, Dave, Damon Williams, has given. And just last week, he took as his um, theme for a sermon that he gave to an empty church on video only the parable of the persistent widow, Luke eighteen one. I, we don't have to tell the whole story. The, the bottom line of the parable is it is Jesus telling his disciples, you have to have faith. You have to keep praying. Your, your prayers will eventually be answered. It's exactly what you just talked about, uh, Reverend Durley, that this is a time when people who are religious in their thinking, who, who do have a faith in a God, this is the time it's tested, and they have to stick with it, Reverend. Right, right. 
Because that will, that is the fuel that continues to keep you moving ahead. If you've got a brand new set of brakes on your car and you can believe in those brakes all day long and you say these are the best brakes that have ever been made, but if you don't have enough and you can have the, the faith in the brakes, but if you, you don't have enough trust in your leg to put it on the brakes, you will crash as well as somebody who doesn't even believe in the brakes. So the combination of the intersection between faith and trust makes the difference to carry you through. Bishop, can I come to you again? And then I'm going to ask everybody about this, but start with you. And tomorrow, please feel free to jump in as we do this. Um, how, what is, are, are you seeing an increase across the archdiocese, Bishop, in terms of churches, uh, pastors in your churches, uh, being called upon for uh, pastoral care to deal with the, um, the mental health issues, the, the, the depressions, the anxieties, the fears that uh, people in uh, various uh, uh, parishes around the region are having. Has that uh, uh, picked up at all in, in the Catholic Church here, to the best of your knowledge? So we are hearing more about that and probably will uh, the longer we're, we're sequestered. You know, the Catholic Church has, uh, has the sacrament uh, for the sick and, and used especially at the end of someone's life. And uh, that's been particularly an, an issue for us. Uh, how are we going to care for people who are in need of, of care uh, in their homes, in the hospital? And that's been harder to, uh, to be able to provide. There are hospitals now that are not uh, having chaplains have any contact with, with people. And that's new for us. And, uh, Priests are having to reach out possibly to the family or to come to the hospital and offer a blessing from afar. Uh, and and it's, it's heart-wrenching because uh, in many cases that's the best we can do, and, and we're not used to that. But but are, are people feeling uh, the, the, the pain of that? Uh, yeah, I think more, more so than, than before. We've got cases where... Uh, some priests are going to the home and uh, while not going in are trying to uh, commune with people from outdoors and again maybe offer a blessing because that's that's what we can do at this point but but yeah you know, we are hearing that the need to provide resources the need to provide encouragement and, and just plain companionship uh, sometimes is, is definitely there one thing I'm, I'm curious about is, is how you guys have been forced to get creative um, to reach out to, to a lot of your members. We, we saw this weekend some of my colleagues documented how there were some, some drive-through services in, in Metro Atlanta where, where folks would drive up in their cars and, and turn, tune into shortwave radio that would have the, the leaders uh, giving their, their sermons. And I'm curious uh, kind of the creative links all three of you have gone to to, to reach out to your members as well. Well, at the temple, uh, Peter, we, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, go ahead, Bill. At the, no, at no, the temple, I was going to say, uh, uh, you... sure. At the at the temple, we have um, we've thought about this a lot. Um, and first of all, I concur with um, the bishop that um, this there the, the the need for pastoral counseling. We have five rabbis at the temple who are working around the clock. Um, and, it, and it changes every day. Yesterday, the, the, the number of cases increased dramatically of COVID-19, and that affects the, uh, the, the number of people that, that need to be reached to. At the temple, we reached out uh, numerous times to our 1,600 families 
our, our board of trustees reached out to, to everyone. And uh, in their reporting back to, to the clergy, we're able to then uh, reach out directly and, and, and counsel, not in person, but on the phone or on, on a Zoom, one on one. And it includes people who are um, facing this disease. It includes people who are, are sick for, uh, from other causes, uh, mental illness that is exacerbated. Uh, remember, we had uh, about 14 people who were planning to get married in this particular time whose weddings had to be deferred, um, 27 B'nai Mitzvah that had to be deferred. So all of these, of course, are requiring um, uh, clergy attention. But we've worked really hard to think about how we can reach out to, to our members. So first of all, we have virtual classes every day. And uh, we've had Passover-related cl classes almost every single day. For example, we had a class on how to make matzah yesterday. And what's interesting is the number of people who are focused on Passover now because they're stuck at home and they're joining us virtually, I, I would say potentially has even increased. Uh, so. The hard question is going to be what happens when we go back to normal and, and we've had so many more people participating. Um, uh, but we also uh, have mobilized our teens who are teaching our members how to use Zoom, our older members. Uh, we have a group who's volunteering <laughs> to teach people how to use um, Instacart and other online food ordering services and members who are dropping off medications on porches. Um, and, uh, of course, we've moved all our worship and holiday celebrations online. And uh, uh, so that's become very interesting because services, worship services, are now broadcast from my living room, which includes barking dogs and uh, <laughs> all kinds of other distractions. Uh, but people, as, as Bill said at the beginning of the show, are very forgiving and um, just so appreciate seeing the rabbi not in a tie and jacket, but in a button-down shirt in his living room. And, um, you know, you have to adapt to the moment. If you look back at Jewish history for thousands of years, uh, uh, whether it's the uh, Crusades, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, the destruction of the, of the temple and, and uh, dispersion into diaspora, Jews have learned to adapt at every age and every stage to whatever challenge lies before them. So our challenge now is how do we use this technology in, in ways um, that we haven't done it before. And, and, it, and it turns out that, that we're succeeding. And, and I think the big question, as I said, is when we go back, how do we take what we've learned, um, even though we know that we're going back to a, a, an in-touch scenario where we can really be together, how can, what lessons have we learned from this um, experiment nobody wanted to be in? I can attest for how busy uh, you've been, Rabbi Berg. Yesterday, I exchanged a couple emails with you and hoped that we might have a minute to talk about our uh, plans for the show today. And you said you were in, tied up in Zoom meetings from day until night. Uh, so I, I, I can tell you've been very busy, as I'm sure the rest of you have. Um, Reverend Durley, I, you know, Ramadan starts in, I think, about two and a half weeks. And so Muslims uh, are in, in this country and around the world are trying to understand how to adapt to, uh, to the circumstances of the day. And they, they cannot have prayer services in their mosques as they normally would. They can't have, have uh, groups coming together to pray. Um, 
But I want to, Reverend Durley, this kind of picks up on a theme that, that has been discussed by all of you. Um, the imam at the Islamic Center of Southern California, his name is Omar Ricci, uh, he gave a sermon that uh, caught the attention of a number of news organizations because he started it by saying, essentially, thank God for the coronavirus. And what he, but, but, he wanted to be careful about that. He, he, what he really meant by that was, of course, he was not happy that people were uh, getting sick and dying. He said this, thank God for this reminder that we are not in control and must always be dependent on God. Thank God for this reminder we should be grateful for all things, for groceries, toilet paper, good health. Thank God for reminding us that life is fragile, and here's a quote, and we had best appreciate the miracle and blessing that God has given us in creating us as souls. And I think, Reverend Early, that's an especially beautiful message, because in times like this, there are people who always come to all of you as clergy and say, where is God in all of this? How could God possibly allow this to happen? I think that that's an excellent theme, and I, in fact, I've used it a couple of times. How do we look at what God is doing? God is in the middle of it. For the two major political parties in this country to come together, God had to make that happen, where they could come together and come up with uh, this uh, care package that's going all over the country. The two sides had to come together. So they're a they're blessing. God is always in the mix. You talked earlier about themes that we can use. How do we find what God is doing? And I think that this is a precursor to something that's even going to be larger than the pandemic that's preparing us for as we come together and the clergy will be in the middle. What am I talking about? The climate change, the eco-justice situation that it will be much larger, I think, unless we do something to mitigate the climate change. So this is an, uh, an opportunity for us to begin to come together, make, break down our differences, to show that God is in total control, that his hand is in everything that we do. That does not abdicate us from, not, from just saying, well, there's nothing else that we can do. We come together uh, as, as human beings of his creation to, to do the kinds of things that are put before us. And so I think that's what the uh, Imam was saying is so apropos that how do we take the situation? I think Peter alluded to it a uh, people of survival. When we think about coming through the lynchings and the Jim Crow and the racism that we've had to face, we've had to constantly maintain our connection with a God that's larger than us. And I think that that's what this uh, coronavirus is doing, is bringing us back to a deity, to a force that is such, so much larger than ourselves. And when you reach that point of finiteness, you go to infinity, and that's where we, we meet God and understand that it will be all right, that this too shall pass. We use these, these themes. I know the sermons that I would do, we've got songs that we sing. There's a prominent song now in our worship service that says, God has spoken, let the church say amen. In other words, let's look at what God is doing and amen, meaning I agree. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. Another song, hold to God's unchanging hand. And the words of that song are so profound now that we reiterate it. It says, time is filled with swift transition, not on earth and who can stand. Build your hopes, your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. 
And we look at that, and as we sing it, and as, and as we go through, we understand that we reach that point where we can't do anything. For example, your hope is built on nothing less, and we say on Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so we constantly are, are getting preparing our people that whatever comes, however difficult it might be, God is still in control. And so if this is something that's manifested in his divine will, how do we look at it? How do we accept it? Then how do we come through? And I'd like to say something that Peter said that's very pressing in my mind now. What do we do when people get very comfortable watching it on television, drinking coffee or in their pajamas or through virtual, uh, the virtual uh, services? And, then, and if they don't like a particular song, they change to the next channel. If they don't like the message, they change. How do we creatively look at keeping people involved in, 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 in our particular uh, pronouncement uh, in our congregation because we know at the bottom line we want to keep members because of the economic factor involved. But how do we, our people are staying at home and they're changing channels? So that's something that we're going to have to be very creative with uh, as we move in the post-coronavirus. But it's all in God's hands. You know, uh, uh, I, I, I have got Gerald. to. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. I just I got to get to a break. Um, I okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. It's okay. I just really, let me get a break in. I'll come back. Tamar Hellerman, I know, wants to jump in. I know everybody does. Let's get our break out of the way, and we'll come back and uh, spend the last few minutes getting everybody in the mix. This is Political Rewind. Listener Stanford Brown on Twitter reminds me it's Holy Week for Protestants too, Bill. I'm sorry. I thought I talked about Christians, but I apologize if I didn't make that clear. Although, also, Terry Inulowitz, representative Inulowitz, who's often on Political Rewind, said, we've been, quote, visiting, unquote, other parishes on Sunday morning. This past Sunday, we attended Mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Well, that's a great way to experience religion. Tamar, let me let you jump in. I know you wanted to ask a question and then give everybody else a chance. Yeah, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, um, and it's a bit of a grim topic to bring up kind of at the end, but I think it's a really important one. And I think this virus has really especially challenged people dealing with death and burials right now, especially when it comes to social distancing and limiting groups to no more than 10. And I'm curious how you've counseled your members to, to handle this and um, just how folks who can't be with their loved ones who, who are kind of on the verge of dying. Uh, Who wants to start on that? I I can jump in. From the temple's end, it's it's obviously a a very, it's one of the most difficult, challenging things that we face. And uh, we have adapted our rules uh, for burial as a rabbinical association um, in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, And, you know, it it means some very difficult things, like if uh, the deceased is um, uh, had COVID-19, that nobody can be at the service. Uh, that there may be some services where there's only a rabbi or where there's only uh, a few mourners uh, uh, separated by six feet and, and everything is done by uh, uh, FaceTime or Zoom or something like that. Uh, so what we've tried to do is create these virtual opportunities where families can connect and see each other and talk to each other. Um, we have a ritual called Shiva in Jewish tradition where um, after a burial, the community comes over to the house and, and, and comforts the mourners. And we can't do that now in person, but we have learned how to do it virtually and to create community in places where no one 
would think it would exist. Bishop, let me get you in on that. Um, of course, in the Jewish faith, you've got 20, you have to bury the uh, deceased within 24 hours, um, with a few exceptions. Uh, you don't have that problem uh, in, in Catholicism, but you still deal with this awful situation in which um, people are separated, in many cases, from their loved ones as they're dying. Sure. You know, it's, it's, I think, Bill, it's, it's shocking that uh, for all of us that, that people have to deal with the reality of family members who may be physically separated and uh, they're feeling as if there's very little that they're able to do, kind of the normal kind of care that they would render. I think it's important to remind people of what they have done for these people throughout their lives and that they have been there for them. But you're right, in our, our tradition, uh, we, we would normally have a funeral with uh, either the body present or a memorial mass after the person's been cremated. We are advising people if they can to put off those, those masses, but if not, uh, we will have a small service with, uh, with just the family gathered. So, uh, yeah, these are, these are very difficult decisions for uh, families, and we're trying to, trying to offer as much help and counsel as we can as they make those decisions. Reverend Durley? Yes, we just went through that with Joe Lowry's funeral here in Atlanta, and it was very yeah, tough. Yeah, We're very tough, but we had the uh, Willie Watkins funeral home came. We had the buggy to come in the family. It was only just a few sitting there, some of us sitting way in the back, and we're looking toward a memorial service. Not that I'm a prognosticator of, of uh, death, but we're working even now through, with John Lewis, who's extremely ill, and C.T. Vivian, colleagues. And uh, what we're talking with the family even now, these are weeks before, because both of them are fairly weak right now. And uh, if this pandemic goes on for several months, what do we do? And so these are not saying that there's a big difference between a well-known person, but certainly the size of the funeral makes a difference. So we're all looking at memorial services, but no more than 10 to 12. And in that room, even they're sitting, as someone already said, I think the bishop said, six to 10 feet apart. But what we did in Washington, we had a large funeral, and the people came in and just walked past the casket, about two, two or 300 people, six feet apart. This was a week, about 10 days ago. And they just walked past. The family was not there. They walked past, then they all went out and sat in their cars. And then the family came in, sat six feet apart, and then there was the, the, the eulogy was given, and then the service at the grave site. So that's where it's done, and I think we're going to be looking at those creative ways over the next several uh, several months. Bill? All right, we uh, are virtually he, out of time, but let me yeah, go ahead real quick. Real quick, I just wanted to announce that a huge initiative is going to be announced today. I just wanted to announce it on your show first, called Georgia Alive, a, a, a leadership initiative for a vital economy and staying alive, where religious and business leaders are going to track the virus for forecasting and promote staying at home and safe and, and pr uh, procuring ventilators and PPE. And that's it's business leaders wow. and religious leaders and civic leaders and celebrities. And it's going to be an, it's being announced this very moment. And I, I just hope everyone uh, will, will get a chance to look at it. Georgia alive. We will talk about that. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. We'll talk about it on our show as the week continues. Real quick, I'm going to close with uh, the Passover Seder uh, because it makes such an appropriate way to close this show. The last thing we say in the Seder is next year in Jerusalem. 
And I hope that next year as we celebrate these holidays, we will all be a healthy nation once again. Thanks, everybody, who was here with us today for the show. We'll see you again for another Political Rewind tomorrow. Take care, everybody.